Good morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be kind of all over the place, but, but one place we will camp for a bit is uh, Luke chapter 10, if you want to open your Bibles there. And we'll, we'll have, uh, I think all the scripture will be on the screen, but as uh, Rebecca uh, let you know, we are, we're in the middle of our values series. Um, week one, we, we talked about being gracious as our God is a God of grace. Last week, we talked about the God who serves. Um, and this week, we are, we're, we're talking about the value of being hospitable as, as a people. God directs his people to be uh, hospitable. So I, I think we might even have a slide that has our values on there. Um, next week, we'll get into, that's our mission statement, which is also good. But the next slide... Um, should have our values. There we go. We're, we're on hospitable this week, next week, intentional disciples, and then we'll wrap it up with participants. Uh, it's always been interesting to me as you look at uh, in scripture the qualifications for uh, an elder in, in the First Timothy 3 list and the Titus list, both have hospitable as one of the qualifications. And, I, and I've always found that interesting. I'll read uh, a little bit of First Timothy 3 to you, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, he writes, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, um, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, and, and it goes on. And, and we see the same, basically the same list in uh, Titus 1, right? And we expect to see uh, above reproach, um, a husband of one wife, not arrogant, not a drunkard, doesn't, doesn't love money, uh, is holy, is self-controlled, is upright. But, but the hospitable one has always caught me off guard, kind of left my, uh, me scratching my head. So why does Paul by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, say that elders of a church need to be hospitable. And, and, and we'll get there in a moment. But first, let's talk about the biblical use of this word hospitality. Um, I don't know about you, but when I think of hospitality, and maybe you think in a similar way, I uh, imagine uh, that person, that couple, that family, uh, maybe that they're just great at having people over to their place. I mean, they're, they're, they're inviting guests to their place. And you come in, and even if you've never been there before, it is, it's a warm, welcoming home, right? And, it, and it, it doesn't have to be a house. It can be an apartment. It could be a dorm room, college students. It, but they're, they, they're just so good at, at having their, their place uh, be this this place that is welcoming, right? And and I picture I picture them making food. I uh, picture them making you very comfortable, just giving off this this uh, my house is your house kind of vibe, right? And so when I think of hospitality, I think of Christians being that way, and I think of those Christians, and and you know these people that they're just like gatherers of people, right? Maybe we might think of them classically as an extrovert, but, but it's not just that. Like they just, they're so good at, at bringing people in. So they open up their place uh, and, and they probably do it pretty often. Um, and, and maybe they don't do all the cooking, right? Maybe they, maybe, maybe they, they do it so much and they realize I can't keep up with all the cooking. So they invite others that, hey, let's do a potluck, like however we want to make this work. Or, or they even just order a pizza because they just love to gather people in, into their home to invite people in. Right? And, and as I tell you that, if you've been a part of our church for a while, if you've been a part of any church, like you can, you can think through some people at your church like, yes, they're so, so good at that. I can think of several people in our church that just regularly open their doors uh, for others 
to come in. And that is what I imagine there classically, and maybe you imagine something like that, that's pretty close to, to how the Bible uses the word hospitality. But I want to add like one more clarification, or actually probably emphasis, uh, that we see uh, with the biblical word for hospitality. Um, that word has to do with outsiders. Um, hospitality in Scripture it's actually not primarily towards your family or those you are close with. This word is made up of, of two parts, one meaning love and, and one meaning stranger. Um, and we can certainly be hospitable to people that we already know and love. And, and we, we should be, um, right, to the people that we gather with each and every week, this, this, this church that we call a family, right? We, we should uh, be hospitable towards one another, but the Bible is not exclusive to those that we already know. In fact, it really emphasizes uh, those that, that we would call strangers or outsiders. Now, for some, hospitality uh, seems to come very, very naturally. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you feel like others are so much more hospitable than you are by, by nature. Um, but it doesn't mean for them that, 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 that it doesn't take work, right? Or that it doesn't involve sacrifice or they didn't have to learn along the way. So just because it, it comes natural to them, or really we could even say supernatural, if, uh, for some their gift is hospitality, um, the rest of us aren't left off the hook just because they're so good at it. Um, no, we're also called um, to consider those that we aren't close to and, and even the stranger. Hebrews 13, 2, uh, this verse says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And we could totally get distracted by that angel piece at the end of that. Your mind's just probably popping with questions. I remember the first time that, that like I really read that verse. I was in college, and I spent like the next week like going, man, is that an angel? Is that an angel? Right? Like, my roommate's not an angel. I know that for sure. Um, <laughs> just kidding. He's a great, great guy. Godly, godly guy. Love him. Not an angel. But um, anyway, we could talk some other time about what the rest of that verse means. But um, man, we, we are told that, yeah, Christians, this is what we do. And, and it's, it's not just with the people we already know and love. It's, it's with people that we would consider outsiders or strangers. So this kind of hospitality, this biblical picture of hospitality, it's countercultural. Um, and and I, think, I, I think all over our nation, but I, I think there's some unique challenges even in the Pacific Northwest. I think we are, are very individ, individualistic out here. Uh, I just had coffee with uh, a guy who's planning a church in East Vancouver, moved up here I think like seven, eight months ago. Um, he's from L.A., and, uh, and we're, we were just talking about, uh, not just about church culture, but, but about culture in the Pacific Northwest and, and the differences and the similarities. And, and one thing we talked about was that, um, like, today is a beautiful day, but, man, we know the rain is coming. Uh, the rain's coming, and it's getting colder. We actually turned on the heat in our house this weekend. Um, and, and I said, man, when, when it gets really wet and, and it's consistently cold, it, it's like everyone just, they just stay in their home. And, and like, I, their neighbors, I'm confident, I won't see until, like, the spring. We, we're, I'm, I mean, yeah, it's kind of funny, but it's true. Like, I know certain, like, we just, it's easy to, to get home from work or shoot. A lot of us don't even go anywhere now. We just stay at home for work. But you get home, you, you, you park in the garage, and, and then, man, you're, you're not outside your castle again until, until you have to leave. So showing hospitality, especially to, 
to strangers, to those outside of, of, of who you are familiar with, man, that's different. And, and yet this is to be the norm for Christians. Right? We see this all throughout Scripture. We see uh, Abraham and Sarah uh, showing hospitality to strangers. We, we see this with Rebecca. We see this with Lot, with Rahab, um, all throughout the book of Acts that we were just in. We see hospitality. I think of Priscilla and Aquila. They were so, uh, so hospitable. Uh, certainly the Apostle Paul was hospitable, and, and he was hospitable as he's in jail, right? He, he, he was going to be hospitable no matter where he was. Uh, the end of Acts, uh, the end of the book of the Acts, Acts, of, uh, Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, um, it says he lived there uh, two whole years. He's, he's on house arrest. He lives there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So why, why hospitality, right? Why does Paul live that way? Why does he tell us to live that way? Well, Rebecca nailed it in our opener if you weren't here because this reflects who Yahweh is. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. Right? God loves the wanderer. God loves the foreigner. He seeks the stranger. He loves the stranger. Right? He commands his people to care for the stranger, to help the outsider, to care for the poor, because that's who they were. Right? And God sought them. He, he tells us, you were strangers. You were far off. I pursued you. I brought you near. Right? He went after the outsiders and loved them and invited them to be part of the family. And this is who our God is. So the gospel comes with hospitality because it reflects God pursuing people. Hospitality so well pictures God's invitation to come to his table, to come and be a part of his family uh, that God is gathering. So yes, we're certainly to do this within the church, and we'll, we'll get to that later in the sermon, but God calls us to uh, what I'm guessing for most of us, maybe all of us, is out of our comfort zone. Right? He tells us to do this with, with people that functionally, yeah, maybe we know them, maybe we recognize them, but they're, they're strangers to us, or maybe it's truly people that, that we, we really haven't even met before. But that we're to have this welcoming attitude that is accompanied by actions that demonstrate you're invited, you're loved, you're, you're welcome here. Jesus in Luke 13, 29, he gives this, this, this picture, this imagery. He says, people will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at the table of the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of God. Uh, you might remember if you were with us as we went through the, the uh, Old Testament prophet Isaiah, uh, there's this imagery that's it's basically like this, this highway uh, of people just flooding from, from all nations, flooding to God and joining in his people. Um, so God's people are always to have this eye that's out for people that we can invite and welcome, that we can demonstrate the love of God to, that we can be hospitable to, right? People that, that we love without strings attached, but hoping that maybe they will taste and see that the Lord is good, that they'll be open at some point to hearing the good news. We receive them as Christ has received us, full of grace and compassion and mercy. Romans 15, 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Right? The, the church is to do that with each other and, and beyond. And, but we will not be hospitable as God calls us to until we know God's grace, until we have received God's grace. So Luke 10, I told you we'd get there. Um, this is uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So maybe, maybe some of you didn't even know the Good Samaritan, that, that's in the Bible. This is where this, is where this comes from. Um, my guess is every one of us has heard of this. Um, and and this, doesn't, this doesn't take place in a home, right? This takes place on a road. So it's not like he's welcoming him into his house, but I think there's a lot of parallels with hospitality in this parable. So we're going to start in verse 29, but to set it up, uh, in verse 25 of chapter 10, this lawyer stands up and it says he wants to put Jesus to the test, right? So I just imagine like this, this arrogant, uh, this arrogant lawyer. I'm not saying all lawyers are arrogant, but this one is. Um, and he, he says, he, he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, he's so good. Someone asks him a question, he fires a question right back. He says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it, right? You're a lawyer. How do you, how do you read the law? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And we pick up in verse 29. The lawyer says, but he, uh, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied this way. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So as Jesus is, is telling this story, right, the, the man's robbed, he's, he's beaten, he's left for dead, and you see a priest coming down the road. Right? And, and you're thinking, okay, this is a man of the cloth. Like, surely this guy is going to, he's going to help. He's going to save him. But the priest scoots by way on the other side of the road, like as far away as he can get and keeps going. Now, okay, he's a priest, right? He's probably got, he's got a lot to do. There's certainly a lot of people that are depending on him. I'm sure his, his schedule is very full. Someone else can, can take care of this. Levite walks by, right? Here's a devoted uh, Yahweh worshiper. Certainly he will stop. But no, he too passes by the other side as well. So you're like, man, what is going to happen? Verse 33, Jesus says, but a Samaritan, right? Jesus is speaking uh, to a Jewish crowd here. And if, if any of them were not paying attention, right? If they were pretending to pay attention, but thinking about something that was coming up later that day, as soon as he said Samaritan, I guarantee you uh, they were paying attention now because they hated Samaritans, right? They considered Samaritans to be uh, half-breeds. If they saw a Samaritan, uh, yeah, they, they'd go to the other side, but as they're going to the other side, they're hurling insults, yelling at them. So Jesus has their attention now. Like, what is he about to say that, that the Samaritan will do? So he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. 
Right? So this isn't hospitality in the sense that, that we think of it, but man, there's so many ways, uh, so many ways that it reflects the heart and the care of hospitality. This Samaritan could have justified not helping his Jewish victim, right? He, he could have thought, hey, this, this, this guy hates my people. There's no way he would want me to help save him, right? Maybe he, he could have even thought this is God's judgment for how he has treated my people. But no, he saw a person in need. He saw a person that was hurting and truly alone. And, and he came and served him. So I just want to make a few observations that I think parallel hospitality. And the first observation is really simple. Right? He saw him and he had compassion. His heart was stirred as he saw the need of this unknown stranger. So are we on the lookout for needs? Uh, just as in our daily life as we're going about our day. Now, this was a pretty obvious one, right? The guy's laying on the road, clearly been beaten, robbed. Um, we won't always see needs that are that obvious. In, in fact, my experience and where we live is that, that people are pretty good at actually hiding their needs. I'd say I'm pretty good at hiding my needs. Like, I, I don't just want it all out there for everyone to know. I don't want people to know um, uh, how... how what a struggle I might be having on a particular day. And I think that's true of, of a lot of us, maybe all of us. So that means we need to be even more aware, right? We need to be even more sensitive. So do we see needs? And when we do, do we respond? Second observation uh, is the Samaritan had to stop what he was doing. He had plans. He was going somewhere, and, and he needed to press pause or set aside what he was going to do in order to meet the needs of this stranger, right? He wasn't just on, on a stroll around his block. He was on his way to Jericho, um, perhaps for business, but then he sees this great need of this man, and, and he allowed his schedule to be interrupted, which reminds me so much of, of last week in Philippians 2, right? He considered this man's needs more important than his own. So do we have room in our schedules, in our lives, right? Is it, is it possible that someone else's needs can trump our own needs? And in my mind, uh, for me, part of this is I need to have margin in my schedule for people. Like I, I can't absolutely pack my schedule out as I tend to do. Paul tells us in Romans, he says, financially, uh, we're to have no debts that are outstanding. But then he turns and he says, but this, here's this one debt you're gonna have your whole life and it's to all people, is that you owe them the debt of love, right? Like as Christians, we are to love everyone. So I don't know about you, but, but it seems like so often I find myself rushing from one task to the next. And I don't just mean like in work life, but, but in, in all of my life. Um, so at Costco, I, I like to it's kind of a game for me. I, every time I go to Costco by myself, if I'm with other people, I wouldn't do this, but by myself, uh, before I enter in the door, I set a goal, like how quickly can I get out of this place? And it's not that I don't love Costco. I actually love it. It seems like they know things I want before I know I want them, right? <laughs> so I, I love Costco. This probably helps me not overspend there, but I just, I, I set a goal. I'm like, okay, I want to be out of here in 27 minutes or whatever it is. Um, so I was there this Friday grocery shopping, and, and as I'm getting my cart, like I'm already rushing, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm 
pushing my cart with my elbows as I get my card out of my wallet so I can show it to them. It probably would have been faster to do it the other way, but in my mind, this is going to be faster. And I get through the door, and man, I'm passing people of all ages and shapes and sizes. I passed some really athletic people uh, this week in particular. <laughs> Just kidding. I did not. Um, uh, but, but I said to myself, a lot of that was a joke. This I actually said to myself under my breath. I said, come on, dude, you can do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, like I was pumping myself up for a race or a prize fight or something. You probably don't do that. I get that. But, but my guess is a lot of you do this. You, you finish getting all your stuff at Costco or any store. It doesn't matter where. And, and then you look at the lines, and you're looking for the one that's going to get you out the fastest, Right? Like not only do you look for the number of people in line, but especially a place like Costco, you're looking at how many items they have, right? If you're, if you're going next level, you're looking at the checker and you're trying to figure out, are they like fast or slow, right? And, and this is probably sexist, but I, I truly don't believe there's a male checker as fast as female checkers. Like I, I've not seen it. Like those ladies are just flying through it. Um, so uh, we, do this, we do this when we're driving too. Right? We do this, we pull up to a red light, and we're looking how many cars are in that lane. That lane is three, that lane is five. I'm going into the one with, with, with three in it. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is, it is kind of funny that I think, like, if I can save, like, two and a half minutes on the road, then it's going to make a, a, a significant change to my day. When we don't have room in our schedules, right, if, we're, if we're just always pressing on from one item to the next in our calendar, it's going to be hard to give time to others, especially people that we're not close with, especially the, the stranger. I tried to take uh, Fridays off, and my hope is always to get like some like chores done, some, some honeydew list out of the way, right? So part of that's grocery shopping, part of that's other things, and, and, and it's so I can just be available with my family on Saturday as much as possible. And obviously there's stuff we're doing throughout the week on, on our list, but um, this Friday I, I, I had my list of, of goals for the day that I wanted to get done, um, and two different times I bumped into neighbors, right? And I've got this sermon in my mind, obviously, like, okay, I'm supposed to be hospitable. So the, the first time I, uh, I'm walking out the front door, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake out the doormat um, so that I could vacuum. And when I say I could vacuum, I've got a robot that actually vacuums, but I move a couple things so it can vacuum for me. Um, and, and, you know, that's like a 30-second job to shake out the mat. I walk out, and there's my neighbor down the cul-de-sac. He telecommutes. He's on a break, walking his dog, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> and he says, hi. And I don't want to talk, but I say hi, right? And, and, and we get in this conversation because this is a guy that I really just kind of barely started to get to know over the last two years. It, I mean, honestly, it took me an embarrassingly long time to even remember his name. And, and still, sometimes I'll see him like, oh, what is it? Um, but I, I've just been starting to get to know this guy over the last couple of years. And, and the Lord's like, no, you need to, you need to sit here right now. Like, don't, I wanted to go tidy up the kitchen, right? And, and it's just so clear. Like, no, I, I need to have a conversation. Like, however, however long he wants, like, we're just going to sit here and talk. And it, and it wasn't even, like, all that long. Like, he had to get back to work. And, and you know, when I, when I got back to my kitchen, my dirty dishes were still there. And they seemed to be totally satisfied with me being a few minutes later 
than I thought. So then like an hour or, I don't know, maybe two hours later, uh, it's time to take my dog outside to the bathroom. And I go out, and, and uh, it just happens to be near the, the mailbox that, you know, our, our side of the street comes to. And there's another neighbor. And I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, I haven't seen this guy since the end of summer. Like, I need to talk with him. And, and we just sat there and, and chatted about our kids and school and, and, and work and, and all this. And, man, I didn't want to make room in my schedule that day. Um, and it's because I'm so busy. It's because I've, I've always got that next thing I want to get on to. So, so do we, do you have room or flexibility? Right? Are you willing to press pause on your plans for that day? Not only did the Samaritan sacrifice his schedule, but he made financial sacrifices, right? He, he cared for uh, this man's wounds. He used his own oil uh, and, and bandaged him, right? He put him on his animal to carry him to the inn. He paid for the inn. He paid the, the, the innkeeper ahead of time and said, hey, if there's any more, uh, any more money you spend on him, when I come back, I will pay for that as well. So being hospitable and loving uh, involves costs. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, she wrote uh, this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, and it's, it's essentially a book about Christians uh, being light in the world, specifically right where they live by being hospitable. Um, so her and her family, I mean, they, you want to be challenged in hospitality, come grab one of these books. I've got five of them here. They're free. Read it and, and pass it on to someone else in our church. But, um, man, you want to be challenged. Like, they live hospitality better than anyone I've ever heard of. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that in her book. One, it's because she sees that this is how God is, right? And like I already talked about, inviting the stranger into his family. And, and she sees that this is how Christians are commanded to live. And the, the second reason is, is it was a major part of her coming to Christ. And some of you know her story. I won't get into her whole story. But before she knew Jesus, uh, she was a, a professor of women's studies. Uh, she, was, uh, uh, she called herself a feminist. She was a lesbian. Um, and she, in, as a professor, she, she wrote a lot. She loves to write, which, man, she's blessing the church with, with her writings now. Um, but she would write a, a lot of things, and a lot of them were, were pretty controversial. And, um, and, and certainly a lot of what she wrote uh, really uh, was, was uh, anti-Christian for sure. And she would receive a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of emails, a lot of feedback, a lot of letters, and she said that she read all of them, right, no matter how nasty they were, but, but there was one, one article that she wrote, and I don't remember what it was about, but uh, she wrote it, and, and this man who was a pastor wrote her a letter that was so loving and, and so kind um, that she wrote back to him. And in that letter, uh, he actually invited her over for dinner with, with him and his wife. And she happened to be working on a book at the time um, that was, it was critiquing something uh, within Christianity. Maybe it was scripture, I don't remember exactly. Um, but she was committed to, to uh, doing uh, complete and, and ethical research, right? Like she wasn't gonna just bash Christians. Like she, she wanted to really understand where Christians were coming from. And she thought, well, okay, this is a Christian that actually seems like he's not that mean. Maybe, maybe I could get to know him. Maybe this would help me in my research. So she agrees to go over. And um, she tells in her book about that, that first dinner, coming over and sitting in her car, just so nervous to go into 
the home, right? But it's never been in the home of a Christian before. Long story short, man, that dinner went great. And that was just the first of many, many, many dinners over the coming years. And that, that home that she was once afraid to walk into, it became this place where she felt so comfortable and so safe, right? So comfortable that she could ask real questions about the Bible and Christianity that, that she, never, uh, she never understood, never made sense to her. She, she felt so comfortable that she could share her honest thoughts, knowing that, that many of these things, her, her thoughts, her, her beliefs, the way she lived, she knew a lot of these actions were not approved by, by this husband and wife, but she knew she was accepted by them. And the hospitality of this, this couple was really uh, a door to the gospel. I, I can't remember if I said this, but the title of the book is The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which I, I love that. Right? It, it, was, it, was a, it was a door to the gospel for her. It was being shared and lived right before her eyes. So she comes to faith in Jesus. Um, she, she gets married. Her and her husband have multiple kids. I believe some of them that they, uh, they have adopted. So the whole reason I, I bring this book up, though, is uh, Rosaria and her husband, Kent, they, they minister in their neighborhood through hospitality, um, which I love her phrase for it. She calls it radically ordinary hospitality meaning that, that she's, they're just inviting people into the, the normal, uh, uh, normal rhythm of their life, right? Yeah, they're, they're not putting on like fancy parties. It's just, hey, this is everyday life. Come, come be a part anytime you want. So I bring this up because she talks about the cost of hospitality. Uh, Rosaria and Kent, they budget uh, for the cost of being hospitable to their neighbors. Um, and, and she figures that uh, many months, her grocery bill is about double what it would normally be if it was just for their home. And like everyone else, they have limited funds. So in order to be hospitable, they have to make sacrifices in other um, areas of their budget, right? And there, there are other areas of their budget that get less in order for them to be hospitable to their neighbors. So there is a cost, right? There is a cost to hospitality. And we see the Good Samaritan pay that cost. Two more observations. I'll make these pretty brief. Um, one is... Uh, and the, the Good Samaritan cares for practical needs, right? We know spiritual needs are important, right? We know that the most important thing, right, that the healing that, that everyone needs is their spiritual healing, their, their healing from sin to be forgiven by Jesus. But we, we do not ignore the practical everyday needs. There's a saying in youth ministry, you earn the right to be heard, right? In other words, uh, before a student, uh, especially a, a student that, that, that maybe hasn't been a part of, of a youth group or church, before they'll hear your gospel words, they need to know that they can trust you. They need to know that you genuinely love and care for them. And it's not just that way with students. It's, it's that way for all of us, especially those who don't yet know Jesus. So when Christians demonstrate uh, care for a person's practical needs, their everyday needs, there may one day be opportunities to care for their spiritual needs. Lastly, the Samaritan didn't just bandage him up and, and leave him there. Right? He, he took him to the inn. He made sure that he was cared for. And even when he left, he made sure that he would continue to be cared for. He came back to make sure that the bill was paid. Hospitality, it's not a drive-by. Right? It's not just a, a, a one-off meal. Hospitality is ongoing care and invitation into relationship. 
So what does hospitality look like as we gather as, as the family, right? I've been talking a lot about, about outside of the church, but, but what does it look like here? And there's, there's a lot of places that we can go. I love that, uh, that Rebecca even connected our stage to hospitality. Uh, the first thing I think of is, is our welcome team. Our welcome team uh, that we have on Sundays, greeting people as, as all of us come in. Man, that is a vital piece to us being hospitable. And, and I guarantee you, if, 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 uh, if you've ever thought, like, man, how could I serve? Man, our welcome team could use you, right? If you can smile, if you can be warm and hand a bulletin to someone, shake their hand, you could be a part of our welcome team. Um, obviously, our online presence for, for many, uh, as you're checking out a church, you, you look online, but, but really, our welcome team is, is the in-person first impression. And, and the rest of us, and I think our church actually does a pretty good job of this, the rest of us, even if we're not officially on welcome team, we're still the welcome team, right? Like, we, we still want to welcome every person that walks in these doors, even though we don't know their story, we don't know what they come from, we don't know what they believe, and yet we welcome them into this place. Right, so we work hard. Hopefully we work hard at, at trying to learn people's names. And, and I'm, I'm getting better and better at writing people's names down in my phone, right? And trying to review those through the week so that if they come back again, like, oh, yeah, your name's this. Uh, but sometimes I forget to do that. And one thing I've gotten even better at than, than writing names down is telling someone, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I remember meeting you. I remember talking about this or that, but I'm embarrassed to say I've forgotten your name. And you know what? I haven't had anyone get really mad at me, or not even mad at me at all, <laughs> not really mad at me. I've never had someone go, ah, oh, you're a jerk. I'm never coming back to this church. I knew this church was weird. Um, never heard that. Uh, it, so our, our stage, like Rebecca said, like refreshing our building, like yeah, this last year we, we redid most of our lobby. Someday we'll get to those carpets, I promise you. But um, man, we made our lobby look so much better. And, and that's because we want we want this place to be warm and welcoming. We're hoping over the next two or three years that really every part of our interior is, is touched up and refreshed. And it's not because we want to have this, this place that, that aims to impress. No, we want to create an environment where anyone can come in here and, and it's, it's not distracting. It's, it's actually warm. It's welcoming to them um, because we're hoping, we're hoping that if they don't know Jesus, that man, maybe they'll stick around long enough to hear the gospel and receive him as Lord. If they do know Jesus, we'd love for them to grow with us in Christ. Um, one, one other way that we're trying to be hospitable, if you watch the, the announcement video this week, um, we're not stacking our chairs right after the service this week. We're, we've been talking about it, and, and there are a couple of reasons we're not doing that. One, we don't want to give off the impression that like, hey, it, we're done here. Like it's time to get going. Let's, let's stack this up and get out. No, we want, we want people to stick around, right? We, we want to fellowship with one another. And if you're like me, like sometimes when we have a task, I just miss people. And we don't want to miss people. We don't want to miss, uh, you know, those people that we know well, that we've been going to church with maybe for years and years. And we also don't want to miss the people that are new. Like sometimes it's easy to slip out. We actually, I'm not saying we want to make it hard for a person to leave, but we, we uh, it almost sounds like we're trapping them. <laughs> I, I want people to know that they're seen right, that they're loved, that we're really happy that they're here, even if they never come back here again. Like, we want them to, to know that. And, and still, we're talking, we're talking about uh, a lot about outsiders here, but, but man, we're to show hospitality with, with those in our church family. First Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
right? Let's be hospitable with one another, right? Let's get each other's contact info. And we, we have an online directory. A lot of people ask us, like, do we have a directory? We do. If you go to our website, there's, there's directions to, to, uh, to join that. You've got to be approved so that we know that you're actually a part of, uh, a, a part of our church. But, um, man, do that. Uh, learn names, uh, look out for needs within our church body and see if you can meet them or, or help find a way to, uh, to meet the needs of others in our body. Do stuff together, right? Whether it's going for a walk or, or going to get coffee um, or, or, or meal out together or, or even, you know, even inviting someone into your home. And hospitality doesn't have to be uh, really complicated, right? Uh, I don't know... I don't know what holds you back from hospitality, but, but I think for, for some, we just get intimidated by it. You know, we look at others and how good they are, and we're like, man, I, I'm not that way. Maybe, maybe you feel like your place isn't good enough. Man, like I said, you can be, you can be hospitable in a college dorm room, in, in an apartment, in, in, in whatever house, whether you rent or own it, right? Whatever space God has given us, let's, let's use it to be hospitable, Maybe, maybe we think that, that man, we, we've got to get our, our, our place cleaned up to like this standard. And, and there's a way that, that that desire can be for other people and totally about them. I think most of the time it's about us, right? It, it, it's a pride issue. Or maybe, maybe uh, a different one is you just feel like, man, you don't know what to cook, right? It's one thing to cook for yourself, for your family, but you don't know what to cook for other people. Get a pizza. Get a, I told you how much I love Costco. Get one of their pre-made meals, um, or, or, or do potluck style. Like it doesn't have to all be on you. Uh, I know one thing that, that Lindsay and I had to do is we had to kind of figure out, okay, what are our go-to meals? Like these are the meals. We feel like there's no way we're messing these up. Like this will taste good uh, on the plate no matter what. Lindsay and I were talking just the other day that, man, we just, we need to grow in having our neighbors over. Like we're, we've gotten pretty good at having uh, kids come through our house, whether it's neighborhood kids um, or, or our older kids' friends or the youth group. We've had, we've had the youth group come over for all kinds of things in the past several years, but man, we want to get better at having uh, adults uh, from our neighborhood over to our house too. Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole loss fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So are your actual neighbors on your street, are they functionally strangers? Right? Like maybe know their name, maybe not. Man, commit to, commit to meeting your neighbors. Figure out a way to learn their name, even if you have to ask another neighbor, like, hey, do you know their name? Or maybe you're going to look up their tax records or something to find their name. But find out learn their name. Some of you have done that. It's not just me. <laughs> All right. Find out, find out what their name is. Find out what they do for work, right? Find out where, where they came from. Almost no one is, is from campus anymore. Everyone's moved here from somewhere else. Like you just ask them, hey, where'd you come from? Like tell me about your family. Tell me about, you know, whatever it is, but, but learn what they're into, right? In, invite them to go on a walk or, 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 or to come over and have a meal or, or, or coffee or tea, but, but there is something, though, about breaking bread together, right? Like there, there's something relationally, like God's just made us this way. It, it is so good for us to eat meals together. So we, we show hospitality because it reflects who God is, right? We invite outsiders to our table because God has invite us, invited us to his table. So we invite people to share in our lives because God has invited us to share in his life. He's the one who gives us life. 
And the good news certainly is what motivates us to show hospitality. One of my favorite uh, pictures in the Old Testament um, is that of King David with his uh, best friend's son. Uh, David's best friend was Jonathan. You, you might know this, or maybe you don't. That's okay. Um, Jonathan was the son of King Saul, right? The, the, the king before David. Uh, king Saul is the one that over and over again tried to kill David. Um, eventually, King Saul was killed. Eventually, uh, Jonathan also was killed, which, which David lamented. Um, and, and then eventually, David became the king. He was anointed the king. And after a while, he asked one of his servants, is there, is there a relative? Is there a relative of Jonathan that, that I can bless? And someone researches, yep, he, he has a son. He has a son named Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth was, was crippled. Long story short, um, there's an accident when he was a baby. He was dropped um, and, and permanently damaged his legs, right? So he, he could never walk the same. It was, it, was, it was very, very noticeable. So David summons Mephibosheth, uh, and he comes to the king trembling, right? And we have to understand he's the grandson of the former king that tried to kill David many, many times. It would have been very normal, maybe even expected for the new king to dispose of uh, anyone connected with the former royal family. So one can imagine the thoughts and the fears running through his mind. So he bows down before the king. And instead of the king threatening to take his life, David says to Mephibosheth, from now on, what I want is for you to come and eat with me at my table every day. You're gonna come to the king's table. So every day he came and sat at the king's table. Right? And you think about the significance of that. Like he, he struggles. He struggles to get to the table. And then he sits and his legs slide under the table of the king. And now at the king's table, his brokenness is covered, right? He sits, this man who was alone, right? His, his family's been killed. He sits now and every day he's been invited to not just eat with the king, but man, he's, he's part of the family. Man, praise God. Like that's what God does with each and every one of us. Would you, would you pray with me? Lord, it is... Uh, it is bonkers, God, that, that you invite us to be a part of your family, that, that you've invited us with our brokenness to come and sit at your table, Lord, that you cover our brokenness, you, you've, you've covered our sin, and, and you say, come, be, be a part of my family, come and, and feast with me. And God, I, I pray that we'd be so radically transformed by that, that it would change our everyday life, Lord. God, make us, help us to grow in being people that are hospitable, Lord. And, and yes, grow us in that with one another in this church family. But Lord, would you grow us in our neighborhoods too, Lord? And I know, uh, I, I mean, there's some, some in our church that'll, that'll actually be pretty easy for. For the rest of us, it's gonna take, it's gonna take getting over some fears. It's gonna take changing things in our life in order to do that, Lord. Man, how, how great would it be, God, if, if through our hospitality, man, there'd, there'd be people that come to know you, Jesus, just by us opening up our lives and, and being vulnerable and letting people in, in our homes. 
and, and showing them your love and your grace. God, if, if, you would, if you would help us to proclaim the gospel, to share with others the good news, Lord, to invite them to the same table that you've graciously invited us to, God, we would love that. But Holy Spirit, we need you to transform us. We need you to, to give us the courage to get over the hurdles, to, to trust in, in you, God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.